coming in okay? Good. It's great to be here and uh, in person. I missed seeing you last summer. Uh, I had to come, I had to send a video sermon in instead of coming in person. It's not quite the same. Coming in person just gives me the chance to say thank you for your wonderful support of our Christian Reformed Campus Ministry at the University of British Columbia's Okanagan campus, where I serve as a campus pastor. And this is such a, a, such a strategic mission to the university, and uh, our work as a church touches the lives of everybody on campus, from tenure-track professors who are uh, fomenting some of the big ideas that shape our society, to undergraduate students, first-year students who have no clue uh, about what to do with their life. And to the whole campus, we as a church are able to speak the gospel and to speak biblical truth and to try to shape young people and professors and everybody else on campus with a Christian worldview. And all this is possible through the support of our churches and classes. So thank you to Willoughby Christian Reformed Church for your great support of the campus ministry. And I'm happy to be able to say that in person to you, finally, after a long break, and uh, to bring God's Word to us this morning, and that's what I want to do now. I'm going to read our scripture, which is from the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. This is the story of an encounter, a conversation that takes place on a desert road. Hear God's Word from Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of the Kandake.
in this marvelous thing that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And here in this morning's story, we have the very first black African becoming a follower of Jesus. And he's a powerful bureaucrat. We can see he's almost a diplomat from the land that in Bible times was called Ethiopia or Nubia. And he works for the mighty Nubian queen, the queen of the Ethiopians, the Kandake. And he, and he hears for the very first time in our story that God's son Jesus died and was resurrected, not just for Israel, but for all people, including Africans like him, including Europeans like me. I find this story is, is just a wonderful reminder that God's church has a mission in the power of the Spirit to share the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for his broken world in Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, you can bring up this slide, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. As when we gather as a church to worship, God is making his appeal to a broken world through us. And when, when we as the church go out into the world and we work for what is good and, and true and beautiful, whether we're at home or at school or in our jobs, we are Christ's ambassador, and God is making his appeal through us. And of course, when we share our faith with family, with friends, with neighbors, with strangers, when we share our faith in what Jesus has done for us, God is making his appeal to the world. He's doing this through us. God's kingdom is revealed as we share our faith with others. That's why it's, it's just essential that we as a church share our faith with others. Now, I know I, I just lost about half of you when I said that. It's essential that we share our faith with others. Don't tune me out, okay? Just because I said something about sharing our faith. I know what you're thinking, and I can see the expressions on your face. Christian Reformed folk, like us, are not very comfortable with sharing our faith, are we? Are we? Come on. Don't look indignant. You know it's true. Some of you are thinking right now, come on, I, I'm just not that kind of person. I feel uncomfortable sharing, talking about Jesus with people. Some of you are thinking somewhat sarcastically, looking at me, oh, that's easy for you to say, Todd. What if, someone, what if I'm sharing my faith and somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer? I'm afraid to share my faith. I didn't, I didn't study theology like you did or Pastor Jenna did. I don't have the right answers. Some of you are just cynics and you're thinking, what, share my faith? That's what we pay our pastors to do, not me. You know, I, I hear you. I've said all those things to myself, or most of them to myself as well. 
because I'm, I'm an off-the-chart introvert, and it's, it's hard for me to share my faith with others. You can tell I'm an introvert, an introvert from my preaching style, right? I'm hiding behind this pulpit here, clinging on to it. More and more I'm convinced, though, that we, we as Christian Reformed people, we really need to learn and practice how to share our faith with others. Now, maybe more than ever, after COVID, we need to reach out to people who are hurting, to those who've, who've left us, maybe to those who never knew they needed us in the first place. So I want to share with you this morning a couple of things that I've learned, really a couple of things where I've been challenged by the Spirit, shaken out of my introverted shell, through stories like this one in, in Acts chapter 8. Things I've learned about how to share faith with others. Again, this doesn't come naturally to me, okay? I'm not like the expert talking to you. I'm, 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 I'm talking to you about some of my own struggles, my own, my own learning curve here. And really about 60% of my job as a campus pastor is having conversations, sharing about my faith with others, with students, with staff, with professors. Some of them are lost. Some of them are found, but along the way, I think I've been, I've been challenged to learn some things from Scripture about how to share faith, and I, I want to pass those on to you today. And I guess the very first thing I want to say about sharing our faith is that it, it definitely does take us out of our comfort zone, and it's okay to admit that. Let's not pretend otherwise. Unless God has hardwired you to be something like Billy Graham, it's not easy for most of us to talk about Jesus with strangers or even with family members. We know this from our story. Did, did you notice where the story took place? Where did it happen? In the desert, yeah. So Philip, an apostle, is called by God out of the city where he lived and worked into the desert, into the wilderness. And this happens in the middle of the day. So our story said, go toward the south. Some translations, maybe the translation you're using, might say go at noon, because it comes from a time when people use the sun to measure both direction and time. So Philip is told to go at noon into the desert. What do you know about the Middle East at noon in the desert? It's hot. It's hotter than the Okanagan. It's really hot. People avoided traveling in the desert at noon. And the point of this story is that Philip is called out of his comfort zone to share his faith with others. And the Spirit of God moves his church now out of our comfort zone too, to share the good news with others, to share what Jesus has done for us. Now, I find it makes me, as a kind of super introvert, feel better just to admit that it's okay to feel uncomfortable talking about Jesus with others. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not a bad Christian. You're not misbehaving. You don't, you're, not, you're not faulty in some way. Even the Apostle Philip is called out of his comfort zone into an uncomfortable place 
to have a conversation. Okay? So let's just clear the air there. All right? It takes us out of our comfort zone having these conversations. That's okay. We can handle that because the second point is this. These uncomfortable conversations, these awkward moments that we don't want to have when we talk about Jesus are God moments. They don't just happen. God calls us to them. And he's before the conversation. He's after the conversation. He's throughout the conversation. And he's responsible for whatever happens from the conversation. This is a comfort for us. In fact, it should give us some, some confidence. Yes, sharing our faith, talking about Jesus with people who need to hear, friends, coworkers, strangers, pushes us out of our comfort zone, but God is through it all, and he's in the conversation. And this is absolutely clear from our story this morning. Let me put it like this. Well, let me put it in a question. Who, who was the main character in our story from Acts 8? Who was the main character? I can't hear you. God? Was that the answer? It's always the answer. This is a Sunday school answer. Jesus, the Bible, God. Always the right answer. You know, it's tempting to think that you know, Philip is the main character. He does most of the talking. might also be tempting to think that the Ethiopian is the main character. He's driving the chariot. He's in the driver's seat. In some ways, he steers the conversation. But I, I agree. I think, I think God is the main character in this story. Um, bring up the next slide, please. See, the story begins with God. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. God begins it. Long before Philip even shows up on the scene, God is at work in this Ethiopian. Why else would he be half a continent away from his home? He's searching for God. God is present already with this person. And then this conversation between Philip and the Ethiopian happens through the Spirit. Verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And then, of course, the story ends with God. He has the last word, too. In verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. God is at the beginning, the end, and throughout this conversation. And I think we can take confidence that when we share our faith, when we talk to others about Jesus, it's the same for us. It is God who's building his church and bringing his kingdom as we share faith with others. God's mission is his sovereign prerogative. And this should give us confidence. You know, imagine, imagine you're at Costco and you run into your friend. She's, she's not a believer. And she tells you that she's really struggling. She's having a, a terrible time. And you want to say something hopeful. You want to share with her how your faith in Jesus has got you through a dark time. Or you, maybe you just want to hang the words, I'm going to pray for you on the end of the sentence. But we balk. 
right? How often have I, how often have I had that moment where I'm talking to someone and, and, I, and, I, and I want to say, I'm going to pray for you, and then I just, I just stop it. Oh, I'm in public. I don't want to say anything. It's, it's awkward. It doesn't feel right. God is behind these encounters. He's behind these conversations. His providence bumps us in to our friends at the seniors club, at Costco, at school, or wherever. And he will use what comes out of our mouth for his good. I don't know how I would be able to survive working on a, on a secular university campus if I wasn't convinced, if I wasn't constantly reminding myself that the ascended Christ is before, behind, and in front of every conversation I have. God prepares us for these encounters, for these conversations, even if we don't know it or even feel it. So what else can we learn from this story about sharing our faith with others? A lot. It's a rich story. I think in the interest of time, I'm just going to identify one thing. I found, since COVID, I found like my attention span has shrunk quite a bit. Um, I can only, I can, I can digest about a 20-minute sermon, so I'm going to keep it a bit short. Maybe the most important practical thing to say that I've learned from this story and how to share faith with others is, is the power, the power of questions. Power of questions. Questions are keys to great conversations, genuine conversations, especially conversations in which we share faith with others. Now, often, often as Christians, we hesitate to share our faith with others to talk about Jesus because we're afraid that we might not have the right answer. Correct? Like you've you've been there. You know what I mean, right? You want to you want to say something, but you think, oh. I don't have the right answer. What if this person asks me something difficult? The truth is that good questions are usually far more important than having the, the right answer. Watch what happens in our story. First of all, Philip listens. Did you know that Philip doesn't speak first? He listens. He listens to God first of all. Then he listens to the Ethiopian who's reading out loud. He listens. Then he preaches. No, he doesn't preach at all. Then he asks a question Do you understand what you're reading? a simple question, isn't it? You, you could have asked that question. I could have asked that question. Then the Ethiopian asks Philip a question. How can I? Look at all these questions going back and forth. Okay? A, a conversation is happening. Then Philip jumps into his chariot. No, he doesn't. Then the Ethiopian invites Philip into his chariot or to sit down for a coffee with him or to go out for a beer or to give him his cell phone number. You know, you know what I mean, right? There's an invitation. There's questions. There's listening. A relationship is forming. Philip, 
Philip so far hasn't given any answers. Then more questions. After reading the passage of scripture, the Ethiopian eunuch asks Philip to explain it to him, and then he asks Philip to baptize him. This story is showing us how important questions are in conversation. And they're showing us that Philip doesn't have an agenda. He's not ramming his answers down the Ethiopian's throat. He's not pushing a tract at him or knocking on his door uninvited. He's listening. And then he responds by asking questions. All these questions back and forth are the marks of a good conversation about faith. And questions are one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit changes people. What I mean is that questions might be how Jesus speaks into someone's broken, hurting, sinful life. A word of comfort, a word of challenge. In his own ministry, Jesus often did this. Who do you say I am? Why are you so afraid? These are questions that invite response, questions that begin conversations about things that really matter. And I think the ascended Christ does the same thing now through his church to the world. He makes his appeal to the world through us and through our questions, not just our answers, but through our questions. Maybe we borrow Jesus' own, Jesus own questions. We're talking to friends or strangers or a child who's drifted away from faith. Who do you think Jesus is? Maybe our questions are even more simple than that. How are you really doing after COVID? Are you okay? Questions. When I talk to students, I, I like to use questions. I often use these questions if you show this slide. I borrow these questions from, from an infamous 20th century novel, an iconic novel by Jack Kerouac on the road. These two young men are, are drifting. They're just on a road trip, and they bump into a farmer. The farmer poses a question to them. You boys going to get somewhere? Or are you just going? Students who don't have faith, or who think they've got it all figured out, I, I find these questions are very disarming. You gonna get somewhere? or are you just going? These are the kind of questions that the Holy Spirit can use to challenge us, too, if we're brave enough to listen. Questions are powerful things. Maybe the last thing I want to say just on, on this topic of questions to draw to a close is you know, when we ask questions, it shows that we're really interested in people. When Philip... When Philip asks questions of the Ethiopian, shows that he's interested in the Ethiopian as a unique person. And I've, I've heard that, that some Christians were taught to share their faith with others um, with, a, with a kind of agenda or a, like a set lead question, kind of knock on the door and say, hello, um, if you were going to die tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven or not? Uh, stuff like that. Maybe, maybe you've heard that yourself or even used it. I'm not very convinced that that's effective. Um, I'm not convinced that's the best way to go about sharing our faith. That's a question that doesn't connect with the person as a unique person, with their, with their own story. 
I think it's far better to listen, to take the time to listen to people, like Philip did with the Ethiopian, then let the conversation unfold from there, ask questions that are specific to that person, so that a, a genuine relationship develops, like Philip did. What are you reading? Um, do you understand it? Can I join you? Of course, of course we believe that Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to questions that arise from unique women and men who are in particular seasons of life, moments with very different sins, and fears, and burdens, and hurts. So we want to take the time to listen to them and then ask questions that show that, that we're interested and that we care. That's what I think Philip shows us in his conversation with the Ethiopian. And then Jesus becomes the answer for that person at that moment in life. It's intimidating to think that we can only share our faith with others if we have all the right answers, right? It's not that intimidating to think we can share our faith with others if what we mostly need to do is listen and then ask good questions. I think we can all do that, can't we? So those are a few things I've learned from, from my, a few things that I've been challenged with by the Holy Spirit uh, through, through Bible stories like this and sharing faith with, with, uh, with others. What is, what is, I think, just so important right now in our, in our almost post-COVID world um, as we deal with people who are in, very uni- in a very unique time in life with, with very unprecedented struggles sometimes. Um, I thought maybe just in closing, let me tell you one quick, give, give you one quick anecdote um, about how, how I've, I've kind of applied these lessons, these things I've learned from, from Scripture to, to my own work. Um, so this past year on campus, everything was online. And all the programming, or most of the programming that I was doing was online. And one thing I tried for the very first time was... Um, Christian-Muslim dialogue online. So these were mostly undergraduate students, about half of them are Christian, half of them are Muslim, joining up on Zoom on this online format to talk, to have conversations about faith, to share faith. So the Muslims would share their faith. And you can bring up that last slide. There's a couple of the adverts. Uh, Christians would then share their faith. You can see some of the, some of the topics we were talking about there. And in these conversations, questions are prominent. Why do Christians do this? Why do Muslims think that? Very basic, simple questions that give the other person a chance to respond. And the onus then falls on us to listen well. Now, two participants, two Christian participants in these dialogues were have been, have been two young Christian students, um, female students. And they're very shy. They don't speak up very much. In fact, I don't think they've ever spoken up at all. But they attend. And they've told me before they feel very uncomfortable talking about faith. Now, in one of our last sessions, one of our last conversations, uh, a Muslim student asked a question, and a Christian student asked a question. And because of time, 
these questions went unanswered. Now we hear about this several weeks later. These young students are telling me that after the session ended, a couple days later, this particular Muslim student looked them up on social media, I think it was on Instagram, uh, because he wanted to answer the question that they'd raised. A conversation begins to develop, questions back and forth about why Christians do this and why Christians don't do that. And these two young students, again, they feel awkward about sharing their faith, right? They're like us. Um, in some ways, they're at an even bigger disadvantage because they didn't grow up in the Christian Reformed Church, so they didn't have the advantage of good catechism. They would be the first to admit that they, they don't have a lot of knowledge, but they're investing time in this conversation. They're listening, and they're asking questions. And a real friendship begins to develop over the week. Again, I'm, I'm not even part of this. I'm hearing about all this afterwards, which is wonderful. And then a big question comes from the Muslim student. Can I come to church with you? I'd like to hear more about Jesus. I'm fascinated by him. So he started going over to these students' apartments, joining them for online church and then regular church because he wants to hear about Jesus. I think this is, this is an amazing development. And it came about because couple of very shy, awkward students were willing to sit in that uncomfortable place and listen and then ask questions that engage the students. And my hope and my prayer is that this Muslim student will go on his way rejoicing like the Ethiopian eunuch did because he too may encounter Jesus Christ. So I want you to take heart and have courage to share the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. We don't have all the answers. We don't need to have all the answers. We need to listen to people. We need to love them. And we want to ask questions that touch their lives, questions that will point them to the answer, Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer is that our, our Reformed churches will become better at sharing our faith. Because in all this, God makes his appeal to the world, to his hurting, sinful world. And his son is glorified, and his kingdom is revealed. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.